0: And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back, listeners. It's another episode of the paleo view <laughs> just
1: in case just in case like it was like randomly some other podcast in their feed, and they weren't sure like- and you mi- and you missed the first you know introduction. Yes. I mean, sometimes when you, like, subscribe to multiple podcasts, like, the next one will autoplay. I don't know, like, why sometimes it autoplays and sometimes it doesn't. But, like, maybe someone just finished listening to, like, an awesome, like, knitting podcast and then ours <laughs> comes on. And they're like, wait, what podcast is about to come on? And it surprise. It's us.
0: I find irony in the idea of an awesome knitting podcast.
1: <laughs> you obviously are not a knitter. So. I,
0: You know, here's the thing. I got much respect for knitters. I am too much of a control freak perfectionist. It was not a relaxing hobby for me. It was super <laughs> stressful. Like,
1: oh no, I made a mistake. Every thousand mis- stitches ago. Yeah.
0: And I'd be like unwinding the whole thing. I would seriously get <laughs> three quarters of the way through a scarf and be like, That is yeah. Uh
1: my mother-in-law's uh phrase is a uh, man on a galloping horse, meaning that if it isn't noticeable by a man on a galloping horse, <laughs> then it's not a mistake. And uh, when I was part of an amazing uh stitch and um uh word that rhymes with stitch that I can't use on a rated G podcast. <laughs> um group when I lived in Tucson Arizona, the phrase is from the back of a candlelit room, meaning it's not a mistake unless you can still see it from the back of a candlelit room. And that is a wonderful philosophy. So when you can embrace it, knitting can be very freeing. I really love the, I mean, I, I used to knit a lot and now I, I just never have my like hands and eyes free at the same time. Um, But I, I really loved the, uh, it was very, like, meditative for me. Like, it was, it's very, like, and I'm making something, and it's just, like, a lovely repetitive motion. I used to, back, back when I had time for watching television, I used to knit in front of the TV a lot. Um, and I still have, like, all kinds of, like, baby sweaters and blankets and my favorite pair of socks and
0: all things. I haven't knit anything for years, though. This is not a knitting podcast, no, by the way. No, let's, let's. <laughs> no. So... I just got back from New York city and for the first time in a really long time, I think I'm like catching something. So just FYI, that's what's happening with my voice. I'm not making full switch over to living that Stevie next life beyond just my wardrobe. Um, <laughs> I just gonna- realized that both of our voices are a bit off. Yeah. <laughs> and like,
1: this might be, people are like wondering like, what's, what's going Ooh, on? What's- I'm not, I don't think I caught something. I am full blown the sickest I've been in years. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm on day 12 guys. Um but uh and this is I'm going to say this as I as I knock on wood. Um but I I believe I am getting better without intervention which the last couple of times that I've had a lung infection, like I have had to do antibiotics and steroids like it's gone full blown pneumonia and it's it's been oh, like a year and a half since last time. It's almost like won a book, uh, except that I managed to skip pneumonia with paleo principles, which was lovely. Um, And (laughs) everyone keeps saying like, how can you have a lung infection now? You're not done this book. And I was like, right. So clearly I'm going to get better on my own. Um, But yeah, this one's been, it's been awful. It was a really like slow, like decline. Like it kept every day. I'm like, how can I be worse than yesterday? Like it was a good six, seven days of, just a little bit worse every day. And now I seem to, my energy is coming back, but I'm still coughing and, uh, you know, all, all of the not so fun things that we, I try to avoid, but I'm doing all the, you know, sleeping 10, 11 hours every single night and canceling as many things as I can. And, um, you know, trying, trying to look after myself. So I hope you, I hope you like skip this and your voice just is wonky for today. And then tomorrow you feel amazing.
0: Me too. I did take vitamin C and I'm drinking tea and I got to bed and made sure I got more than eight hours of sleep. So, um, but when you're in New York city, uh, at the turn of the seasons and exposed to who knows what in the subway, uh-
1: <laughs> wait, 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 that could be taken in
0: so many different ways. <laughs> Listen, let's just say microbes. Let's just move on and tell you. Um, (laughs) But I do want to mention I'm super excited that the boys and I just took a weekend random fun trip to New York City. I got tickets to the New York Historical Society's History of Magic. Um, which I booked like three months ago, by the way, and completely forgot about it. Put it on the calendar and was just like, oh, I'll get to that. Because we've had a really busy couple of months with my travel and work and everything. And so all of a sudden it was a week before we were supposed to go and we had no plans. And I was like, "Hmm, we should probably figure this out. So we decided that we were going to drive up early Saturday morning with nothing, but each of us got... One bag to put our own belongings in for overnight, and then we would leave Sunday night. We parked in New Jersey. We took the ferry to Ellis Island and Liberty Island, which Matt had never been to Ellis Island, and I had never been to, and all of us had never been to Liberty Island. And then we took the ferry back to New York City, explored, and then went to the New York Historical Society exhibit on Sunday, did more exploring, and then left on the what's called a path train it's um you know like a bigger train that took takes you back to new, uh, new jersey and the boys were amazing let me just tell you if you have kids mine are ages 8 almost 11 and 13. Like this is just the perfect time to travel because they're so excited to experience new things and like learn. I'll tell you we did so much like history and absorbing of information and they were such troopers. They wore their backpacks all weekend long and didn't complain once about them. Um wow. it was Awesome. Well, first of all, I mean, there was just like a pair of underwear in there. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't super heavy. But also I didn't get requests all weekend for like, can we buy this? Can we, you know, blah, 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 bye, bye, bye. Because they knew that we each only had our backpacks. And so they each got like one small souvenir, like a, you know, a snow globe or whatever. But it was perfect and amazing so if you have children in that age range i just want to encourage you like i was so nervous but i said you know what what's the worst that's going to happen like we'll just you know uber outside the town or whatever you know what i mean like we'll we'll make do and we'll give this a shot and see how it goes and i want to plan more things like that because it worked so well and it was so fun and we all learned so much so i'm we're as you know Sarah and listeners. Matt's a huge history um, nerd. So the idea of being able to do these kinds of things and experience history places and all that kind of stuff just isn't overnight as exciting. So anyway, yeah,
1: I keep uh, we keep talking about wanting to do a like long weekend trip to New York with the kids and mostly because my husband gets uh, conference opportunities in Europe. And I keep saying, like, oh, yeah, you know, we if you, you go to that conference and then we could all go and then the kids and I could go, like, hang out around, right, Paris or Florence or, you know, the, like these cities where the thing to do is these, like, rich cultural experiences where you go to art galleries and museums and see this amazing architecture. And my husband looks at me like yeah, you're going to do that with the kids while I'm at a conference. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you think the kids are going to enjoy that? I'm like, well, the way to test it out is (laughs) go to New York. And because New York is also a city that has – not that it's the only city in North America that's like that, but it is an example of a city that has that type of – rich cultural and historical, you know, type experiences that you can have as a tourist. And so I keep saying like, oh, we should, you know, long weekend to New York. There never seems to be a like, hey, (laughs) there's nothing happening this weekend. Let's just, uh, you know, hop on a cheap flight to New York because um, whenever we have time off, we're like, woohoo. Woohoo. Nothing. Uh we're homebodies, what can I say?
0: Well, but
1: it is it is in the queue of uh ideas for things to do.
0: You have a house that is all you're welcome to be here only 4 hours from New York City. So, um I think a lot of GC people think New York is far away, but it well first of all you can take a train ride, but it's also it was it only took us 4 hours to get there, which was great. So, well we left really early Saturday and came back really late Sunday, so we didn't hit any traffic, but Anyway, I know we have a show to do, but I wanted to share that because it was super special and exciting, and I think a lot of our listeners have kids um period, a lot of listeners have kids, so we just want to put that out there as like a "Hey, this happened," and it worked out okay um <laughs> there was one there was there was two moments where which were a little scary one Finn left his backpack in a subway. And by the time Matt got off of the subway and back around to the correct platform, it had been called in to the police as a suspicious bag. And <laughs> that was the whole thing. <laughs> but we did get his bag back. And even if we hadn't, like the worst thing is we would have just had to buy him, um, you know, clothes to wear or, whatever, or make him wear the same clothes the next day because uh, there wasn't any valuables in any of their bags. Um, but the real worrisome thing was when we were all running to get on a subway that had just pulled up and Wesley ran first and the door started closing and I had one of those like mom panic moments where I literally put my body it was totally slow motion where I put my body like (laughs) inside the door and wondered if my arm was going to be chopped off but it was worth it before my baby got sent to who knows where (laughs) on a subway by himself and I was like okay what's the lesson to learn here Wesley you always hold a hand in the subway so we
1: have we have conversations of you know if we if we take the subway like what happens if we get separated what do you do like and there we have a protocol if you're on the train and i'm not what do you do get off at the next stop and wait on the platform if if you're not on the train and I am. What do you do? Stay where you are. Like, and it's those and
0: are those back. are good protocols. Because when I asked Wesley once I got on, like we hadn't set up a protocol with him. We the older ones do, and the older ones have our phone numbers memorized and whatever. But Wesley, we just baby him, and we don't. We're terrible with him. And he was like, "I would have just stayed on the train." <laughs> I was like, "But how are we ever going to get you
1: if you stay on the train?" Eventually, the train will get to the end of the line.
0: <laughs> All right, so. During all of this in New York City, true disclosure, I got a message from a friend of mine who was in quite a panic because her daughter had just experienced a new health diagnosis and I immediately sent it to Sarah. I know because it was like 8 a.m. and I was in Jersey and I sent it and I was like, hey, um, this is a frantic question. Can we prioritize getting it on the show? Because this is a good friend of mine and I want to help her out. And what I realized with this question is that we have never tackled the idea of AIP for health reasons for kids. We've talked a lot about Finn having eczema and you know reducing his nightshades and all of that kind of stuff because it helps his skin. But I know that there are children out there who have autoimmune disorders who are doing AIP. And it's, it's a different kind of animal yeah. entirely to think about that. Like it, it honestly brought tears to my eyes to think about her daughter experiencing this for the first time from going from being just, you know, a regular kid eating regular food to all of a sudden her daughter was diagnosed with alopecia and hair was coming out in clumps. And mom's like, okay, today everything changes. And that's super hard for a five-year-old yeah. girl. And that would be hard for a 10-year-old. Um, oh, that's, it lets.
1: Hey, let's. It's hard for me. It's hard for
0: everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like when you, um,
1: some people do well with like jump in with both feet and like oh I'm going to do this like therapeutic diet now and this is the way I eat now and like you and I are both people who are like that, but not everyone is. There are plenty of adults who really still need to take baby steps moving towards something. And they do much better with, okay, first I'm going to tackle gluten and then I'm going to tackle, you know, dairy and then I'm going to tackle legumes and then I'm going to get rid of, you know, gluten-free grains and really do much better in that piece by piece. So it is really frustrating for anyone who does better with baby steps as a way of implementing change in their own life to be hurried along because of, you know, compelling health reasons, right? So when you're dealing with a massive flare, right, you're dealing with a a, um, you know, like I'm all of a sudden really sick, right? Th- those are times where like, even if you're a baby step person by nature, you are compelled to jump in with both feet because you're dealing with a, a major health crisis. And so that is always a challenging situation. And so we need to honor like anyone who's who's gone through that or is going through that now, like the the emotions around that are much, much more challenging and like... It's going to be okay. And I just want to kind of like give all of those people a big hug right now.
0: I agree. And one of the things about that that hadn't really ever occurred to me before is because I did AIP and... I figured out the things that were so problematic for my personal health. Um for example, nightshades, right? There might be other people who once you do inter- reintroductions, you tolerate nightshades but you don't tolerate dairy at all or you know, there there are right. things about that. And I had navigated those waters for myself and I was able to share that with Finn or I was able to share that with my mom because we have similar genetic disposition based on the fact that we're genetically uh, similar. And what hadn't occurred to me is the idea that a parent – would need to experience AIP only through their children. That, yes, you could take it on out of solidarity, but it wasn't something you had figured out yourself first that you were then sharing with your children because that had been my experience. And so I think that's what kind of got me about this question. And I know there has to be other families out there experiencing that. And I just, as you said, want to acknowledge how difficult that is and how scary those waters have to be to navigate because you're trying something out on your child for the first time instead yeah. of on yourself, which is, you know, as a parent, that's more scary to me than kind of being comfortable with something and then saying, okay, here, kid, you do this, you know?
1: And and stressful, right? Because Absolutely. The, the experience of having a, a sick child is one of the life's biggest stressors to start with. And then compound on that, I'm, I'm trying to do this thing that is new to me as well that i i know will help but i don't i don't completely right I, ha- I haven't had the experience with it so i don't have that level of understanding because i haven't done it for myself so i'm learning as i go while experimenting on my child just compounds the stress so um you know again you know it it was a a good reason to to jump in and and throw this question out there uh, not just because I want to be able to give Laura a bunch of ideas of where to go, but also because this is an experience that parents have and we haven't addressed this on the show. And I think from the, from the very like the very, very top level is to just say to parents who are going through this, just take a breath and just, just breathe and it's going to be okay. And, um, As you're figuring all of this out, like, don't forget to look after yourself because you can't look after the people in your life if you're falling apart. So in all of, you know, it's, it's potentially going to be a rocky time. Make sure that you're getting enough sleep yourself, that you're getting enough to eat yourself, that you're taking movement breaks yourself, you know, like as a, as a very, very top level before we get into AIP for kids and all of the ins and outs, um, When you're put into that very, very stressful caregiver role that is so much above and beyond what normal parenting is, remember that you can only keep doing that if you're healthy.
0: Such a good reminder. So... Why don't we just jump into the question and then I know we're going to tackle both from the perspective of alopecia in general, which I don't think we've talked about on the show before, as well as this idea of, of AIP for kids. Cause I think it's, it's both things that we're going to tackle with the question, right? Yeah.
1: So this is what uh, Laura asks. This week, we got a pretty shocking diagnosis that my five-year-old daughter has a rare form of alopecia and is losing all her hair. She lost about 30% in the last 10 days out of nowhere. Yesterday, we got results from extensive blood work testing, just about everything, and so far, it all looks normal. We haven't gotten celiac results back yet. So clearly with alopecia, she is having autoimmune issues causing her body to turn and attack her hair follicles. We have switched over immediately to a paleo diet and limiting eggs. As little as possible sugar and processed foods, no dairy, no gluten, no beans. This one confuses me. Limited organic chicken. We're eating healthy fats, cooked veggies, berries, quality grass-fed organic beef, Alaskan wild-caught salmon, some tuna fish. She cries every meal. She misses her snacks and yummy food. I'm lost and just trying to keep up and do my best. Any healthy, good-for-her cells snacks you think a five-year-old would enjoy indulging on? I'm so horrible at cooking, but I will get better. I know there are fun things to make. Which cookbooks do I need? Any favorite snack bars? Tasty breakfast options? The doctors all saying nothing can be done and there's no cure, but no one talks about diet. Waking up early for the sunrise, healing the gut and mitochondria. I know these are all things that can help heal her, but I'm overwhelmed, stressed, a bit broken, emotional, and mourning this diagnosis. Yes, I know she's not dying, but I wish hair for my five year old, beau loving daughter who doesn't
0: understand what's happening. I got goosebumps when you read that. (laughs) Like, I I just, as a parent, you never want your kid to experience anything negative, right? Like I I recognize that when they're older, they'll experience those things, but just, you know, a five-year-old, I understand it's, it's hair loss. I feel the same way. Like leukemia gets me every time, every time that commercial comes on, I'm like, where should I donate? What do I do? Um, I just, the, kids being sick is one of those things that just gets me. So um, I did talk with Laura on Saturday in the car. This is when I had emailed this question into you because I wanted to get more into the science. Um, So, I will just say and confirm for me if I'm wrong, the thing that I told Laura is that alopecia seems like it's a secondary autoimmune disease and that likely her daughter has something, for example, celiac, which she referred to, or I encouraged her to look deep into thyroid, um, things that would be kind of primary um, autoimmune that would be triggering an alopecia flare. Um, Do you have any thoughts on that before we get into a lot of the nitty gritty stuff? No, that's exactly true. So there, there, it is possible to have primary alopecia. So it
1: is possible to have alopecia in the absence of other autoimmune processes, but it is very, very commonly secondary to celiac, to type 1 diabetes, to rheumatoid arthritis. And of course, uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis can cause hair loss. Um, one of the things that's interesting, though, it's, it's most strongly linked with celiac disease. And sometimes it is how celiac presents. Um so it, that is why it's really good that they've done celiac testing. I'm assuming that thyroid testing was done as part of all of the other blood work. Um, but if it wasn't, to have that level of hair loss, you would expect to see even on like the rudimentary panel that an, a, a normal primary care physician would do, where they sort of just look at uh, T4 and TSH.
0: Yeah, that's what they looked at.
1: With that level of hair loss, you'd expect to see that in those thyroid markers, if it was specifically driven with, by just thyroid. Otherwise you would be expecting to see probably, um, celiac. If it was driven by juvenile idiopathic, um, arthritis, then you would see the joint, um, pain symptoms. Um, so that's probably not likely. Um, so Celiac is the is the most likely sort of underlying primary autoimmune condition. If this is uh, a a secondary autoimmune condition, it's not necessarily so. um, There is, um, you know, primary alopecia as an uh, autoimmune driven, where the autoimmune uh, where the immune system, sorry, is attacking the hair follicles. It's actually a fairly common autoimmune disease. So impacting. upwards of like 2% of the population at some point in their lives. And onset is actually most typically in childhood. So it is um, one of those autoimmune conditions that you do tend to um, see in children uh, compared to, there's a a lot of autoimmune diseases, right? Like rheumatoid arthritis, you tend to see um, in older people. uh, Things like Hashimoto's thyroiditis tends to come, with uh, hormone changes. So you would tend to see it with puberty or with pregnancy or with menopause. So there's there's different sort of characteristic times for onset of autoimmune disease um, with alopecia onset is typically um, as a child. And what's interesting about alopecia is it is among this group of autoimmune diseases that are considered self-limiting, so that means that it can cycle. So you can have it for a while and then for no apparent reason it can just go away. And then but once you've had it once, like it's likely to come back again later in life. Uh, one of my autoimmune conditions like complainus, which is a skin condition very similar to psoriasis is like that as well. It tends to flare for 5 years and then go away. You know, and it and it it goes through these these cycles that are not particularly explainable um, interestingly, alopecia also has a very strong link with stress. Um, I, I have a hard time believing that that is what's happening in a five-year-old. Um, but for anybody who's listening to this podcast more from an interest in terms of alopecia, um, that that's an important piece of information to know is that, uh, you know, the autoimmune protocol incorporates this focus on lifestyle, right? Incorporates getting enough sleep, and managing stress and being active and the stress piece of the autoimmune protocol for someone with alopecia becomes particularly important. Um, I think it's important to sort of emphasize, I you know like the 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 question I get with every specific autoimmune disease is like, well, how effective is the AIP for insert disease name here? Um, you know, how long do I need to wait before I'm going to see results? with the Automy protocol and insert disease name here. And these questions are really, really challenging to answer because most of the evidence that we have on the autoimmune protocol remains anecdotal. Um, there was a study published last year in inflammatory bowel disease and the autoimmune protocol. It was about half uh, Crohn's disease and about half ulcerative colitis. And 73% of those patients were in full clinical remission after six weeks. So that was... Um, and every single patient that completed the study had uh, quantifiable markers uh, improve over the course of the study. So even the ones that didn't achieve full clinical remission still showed improvement. Um, but if you kind of if you start scouring the Internet, um, inflammatory bowel disease, because food is part of the environment of that organ, it seems to respond fairly quickly. Uh, there's a study go- going now with Hashimoto's thyroiditis um, that is sort of also looking over the same time- types of timescales. Um, and uh, when those results are available, of course, I will be shouting them from the rooftop. Um, we don't have a study in alopecia yet. Um, and I don't work with patients. So I don't have, um, you know, a, here's, here's these case studies that I, I mean, if I did, I would be publishing all of them as case studies. Here's these case studies of these people who put on the autoimmune protocol and here's the, whatever measurements that we've done and, and the time frame, and all of these things. But what I do have is the great honor that, um, like hundreds, if not thousands of people now have shared their personal stories with me, um, either in person when I'm at a book signing or a conference, um, or, in, um, you know, email or on social media. And I try to like collect these as anecdotes for when I get asked this question. So I can say that I, I clearly remember six different people, uh, who have had alopecia, who have shared their stories with me, um, uh, at various points who have, you know, say, Hey, I had alopecia look at all this hair I have. Right. And it's, um, it it's, You know, these are just people who have volunteered their stories. I don't know if somebody was not having success if they would volunteer that story. I mean, I do sometimes get those frustrated stories as well. I don't know. I like right people who write reviews are typically the most angry and the most happy. So I try to think of um, people going out of their way to share their story with me in that kind of circumstance. So it's either the people who are the most frustrated and want answers, or they're the people who are the most thrilled and feel the need to, to share how relieved and happy they are. And I certainly get right. 99% of the stories I get are the latter of people who are, are, um, you know, sharing their success stories rather than their frustrations. Um, but I can say that in those six stories that I remember very clearly, of people with alopecia, um, I I have heard multiple times complete hair regrowth, um, but the the time frame is about a year for those particular stories. And of course, in every autoimmune disease, it varies. And actually, I I wanted to point Laura to a YouTuber um, named Deepa Barrar. She actually reached out to me. We talked probably about a year ago. She is a um, she does like makeup videos, so it's it's not actually related to the autoimmune protocol at all. But the reason why um, I wanted to, to point Laura out to her is because she is a person with a, a public-facing um, something that uh, did have alopecia and have complete hair regrowth with the autoimmune protocol. So um, I don't know if you – I mean, you could almost certainly reach out to her on YouTube and and ask specific questions. Of course, it's different than a child – but I always think that talking with somebody who has gone through something similar is one of the best things that you can do. Um, and then the other thing is to look for uh, – there's a lot of different AIP Facebook groups to join. Um, there's um, uh, certainly different you know, AIP bloggers who – who um, I'm, I can't think of any bloggers off the top of my head who have dealt with alopecia as a primary autoimmune condition – um, but they're having that, like that person, that's why I sort of wanted to, to, uh, point out Deepa is, is, um, it's just, it can give a little bit more sense of like, okay, I can breathe. Here's this person. This is their experience. It doesn't guarantee, um, that Laura's going to have the same experience with her daughter, but it at least gives her a benchmark, um, and, and a place to sort of, uh, compare so that. Hopefully she can start, you know, if she needs to do troubleshooting, if she needs to bring in a functional medicine specialist, like all of those things can happen uh, in an appropriate timescale if you have that benchmark.
0: Awesome. So, um, you know, when we talk about kids and snacks, um, sorry, to just to completely change the subject, <laughs> um, one of the things that before we get into the ins and outs of the alopecia and that part of the autoimmune from a practical perspective, parenting and trying to live through this. Um, snacks are so hard. I I get that. I remember first going AIP and needing to take out um, all nightshades, including anything that said spices, uh, because you don't know what's in it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then also looking at things like nuts and eggs, uh, which were my go-to snacks when I was you know, pre AIP paleo. Um, and so for most children who, if they're not doing full AIP, if they're transitioning off and doing paleo, going to something like a Simple Mills snack was one of the things that I had recommended to Laura for her daughter because they look normal, quote unquote, um, like cheese at cracker bags for lunches and different things like that. So where her daughter is crying at every meal just a reminder that that sort of stress is also not good for us, right? And we need to find a balance in our lives of living a lifestyle that will help heal us as well as um, living with the foods and the habits and all those kinds of things. And our lifestyle can't help heal us if we are so upset and stressed out all the time. So, however, we did talk about on a prior show uh, the shop AIP website and I think that's a fantastic resource for yeah. options for your children, right? Like you can pull up shopaip.com and tell, in this case, Laura's daughter, or for you know, for you listeners or whatever the case may be, and purchase anything on there and know that it's going to be consistent with the details of the autoimmune protocol, which Sarah's gonna get into. And just as a reminder you can still use code paleo view for 10% off um if you know you're trying to to fill up your snack bins and all that kind of stuff and there are some surprisingly great things in there that i think would mm-hmm. be wonderful you know chip like things made out of cassava and and different things like that that i hope can help a child or you not feel like you need to cry at every meal because that's just not going to be helpful for your healing and your progress. We have to find a balance between that place where we're not adding additional stressors to our system. And by removing too much food and and jumping into things, if you are, as Sarah mentioned at the top of the show, one of those people to slowly transition in and you're having a hard time dealing with that, you know, all in aspect that you need for AIP to get the effects of an elimination diet, um, finding alternatives at a site like shop AIP, or, you know, doing your research or doing a lot of, um, home cooking and and recipe alternatives are kind of the th- the ways to bridge that gap. In particular for Laura, she stated she's not really a chef. Um she doesn't like spending all day in her kitchen. She's got multiple children and um a job and different kinds of things that just, you know, keeps her busy and um I know her personally that that is a good solution for her, but, um, because she does also ask about what cookbooks do I need? Um, I would highly suggest Sarah's cookbooks because there's so (laughs) many AIP recipes in them. So from the healing kitchen to the paleo approach, um, I don't know if you have any particulars that you think are, are better for kids, but I do think that both of those are good to help you learn more about the autoimmune protocol mm-hmm. and why and it's so
1: important. Both of those, so the Paleo-Pitch <laughs> Cookbook and the Healing Kitchen are 100% AIP, so you cannot go wrong with a single recipe in there. Um, Paleo Principles, though, is still like a little bit over half of the recipes. I think 110 or 115, <laughs> something like that, if the recipes are still... Uh, AIP. And what's good about paleo principles is uh, it goes into some of the nuance a little bit more than the paleo approach does in terms of, um, you know, gray area foods. And that I think is really important information, which, you know, we can talk about in a
0: minute. Awesome. So there are tons of paleo cookbooks out there. You know, we've got cookbooks she was specifically asking me like which of my cookbooks um would i recommend and while eat like a dinosaur and real life paleo are both family friendly with a lot of kid-friendly recipes in them neither of them are exclusively aip and so what i think is difficult specifically with a kid is saying okay here's a recipe book alternative for you pick out Pick out whatever you want and we can make it together or I'll make this for dinner for you. And then they pick something that has nuts or eggs or something. And you're like, well, not that one. Well, not that one. So what I would suggest is, especially in this initial elimination phase, is offer things that you know are 100% safe and they can feel, have that confidence to enjoy something or to pick what oh the oyster the world is my oyster on this website okay awesome this is so exciting um versus approaching it like well here's you know this website or this cookbook and 50 percent of it you know you can cook from so that's kind of the approach that I took specifically for kids I think as adults we have an easier time wrapping our brain around oh well some of these things I can do now and some of them I hope to do in the future um but that was kind of the advice that I gave, and um, I hope that that's helpful. Um, I think you're going to get into a lot of different things, and I'll have many to say. But I just wanted to talk. Uh, I just wanted to tackle. The logistics um, and some of these basic questions that she and I talked about, because I do think that they're important for everyone as you endeavor um, on this new scenario. But I do think it's a different mentality when you're yeah. approaching it for kids.
1: Um, I do. Now is a great time to plug a free page on my website called AIP Community. We'll put a link in the show notes, but it's for anybody who doesn't need that. It's com slash AIP dash community. And this is a page that I keep up to date that is a collection of a i p resources so it's here's a list of certified a i p uh bloggers they're all websites that I have vetted um here's a list of a i p books a i p ebooks a i p free downloads a i p products and so it's very much a all things a i p in one place and so for anybody who's sort of like starting AIP and looking for resources, like well, I would certainly love it if uh, anyone wants to buy any of my books, that's like a wonderful way to support, support me. Um, Sometimes an ebook is just faster or um, sometimes it's, you know, there's, there's something that's better, right? So there's like entire AIP ebooks on just like ice cream. Um, So you can have a look and at, at those ebooks and figure out what is going to be a you know more useful resource. So, and I would certainly say out of uh, the Paleo Approach Cookbook and the Healing Kitchen, the Healing Kitchen is a better book for somebody transitioning directly from the standard American diet. The Paleo Approach Cookbook is a little bit next level. It has a whole chapter that's organ meat, um, so it it really takes that nutrient density thing to a whole new level, which is is not a focus of the Healing Kitchen. But if we're just in a we're starting out, and we need a recipe for AIP pizza. Uh, the Healing Kitchen is is uh, would be my my first recommendation, um, and uh, I think that's that that's all I have to say about that.
0: <laughs> okay, well, do you want to jump into some of the science then? I think yeah. we've tackled a lot of the practical. Um, I. I definitely, and this was something that I um,
1: emailed you when you shared Laura's question with me, and this is something that I would recommend for anybody looking at the autoimmune protocol. Um, Step one is really learning about the autoimmune protocol. So one of the things that Laura sort of mentioned in her email is that, you know, she's jumping into all of these eliminations, Um, The autoimmune protocol is really about nutrient density first. It's really more about what you eat rather than what you eliminate. The eliminations are still important. Um, But nutrient density is is a really, really key piece. Of course, that piece is a big challenge with children. Um, But I think that it's really, really important to dive into that information. So I have a page on my site that is an excellent summary of the autoimmune protocol and tons and tons of blog posts about all of the various details, um, and that is completely, you know, forward-facing, freely available. You don't need to be a member. Like it's just out there for everyone. Um, my book that goes into detail about the Automate Protocol is called The Paleo Approach. Um, that's my my first book. And it's uh you know it's the definitive guide on the Ottoman protocol. So it is the you know number one, like here's all the science behind it book. Um, I would actually say, though, that my course, the AIP Lecture Series, is the most thorough resource on the autoimmune protocol. And in a case like this, um, learning about AIP for kids, I would say that one of the things that is really powerful about taking the AIP Lecture Series is that it breaks things down into – bits and pieces. It breaks down the um, science behind each aspect and really talks about the the case for each aspect in a way that is really, really important for understanding the autoimmune protocol to implement for a child, because this is where nuance becomes even more important. So there is, uh, within the autoimmune protocol, there's um, foods that are very, very important to add more of to the diet. There's foods that are very, very important to eliminate. And then there's this like group of foods that are eliminated out of an abundance of caution um, because of the high frequency of uh, food intolerance, because of some of the anti-nutrients in them. But they are foods that are, are likely to be reintroduced successfully. So these are what I call phase one or phase two reintroduction foods. And when you're somebody who is doing baby steps towards the autoimmune protocol, these would be the foods that would be the last ones that you would eliminate because they have the lowest likelihood of being problematic, and they also have the most to offer uh, the diet, right? So they have the most nutrition to offer, and that's why if you're if you're doing the you know the most the fastest way to get results, right? You you expedite the process by doing the full elimination, uh, which is the autoimmune protocol, and then once you start seeing improvement in symptoms, at least four weeks, you would start methodically reintroducing these foods to test for reactions. And that is that is the fastest way to go. Um, but these, these phase one um, foods, things like um, grass-fed ghee, things like nuts and seeds, things like uh, egg yolks, they have really, really valuable nutrition. And there's an argument to be made for kids that this group of foods that are a little bit more nuanced um, maybe don't need to be eliminated right away. Maybe you can do sort of like an AIP plus phase one reintroductions and see how that goes. And then you can tackle those foods later. And when you can increase the variety, right, if you can include nuts and seeds from the beginning – um, that makes a tremendous difference in terms of quality of life. And of course, when we're talking about a five-year-old who's crying at every meal, that's really important. Um, the other things that, um, you know, Laura sort of listed the stuff that she's she's eating, there's no fruit that is off the table unless you want to start talking about nightshades, right? Nightshades technically are fruits. We think of them as vegetables. Um, but, but, you know, she can definitely expand beyond berries. Her daughter can be eating bananas out the wazoo. Like, it's um, you know, fruit is not off the table, um, with, with the autoimmune protocol. We're just looking to limit fructose consumption.
0: I was going to but- say, just to be clear, it's not low carb, right? Like we've, it's talked, not about- low carb. Yeah, we've talked about yeah. this on other shows, but to, to make sure, especially for children, this would mm-hmm. not be a low carb approach because you don't want to, if it is a thyroid, autoimmune first and foremost, then you're creating even more issues by reducing your carbohydrate and sending that all to you right Kids also
1: have a higher carbohydrate need (laughs) than adults. Um, So if you look at, for example, the composition of breast milk, which is a really great You know, place to start in terms of understanding the ideal macronutrient ratios for kids. They have a much higher carbohydrate need, probably in the 50 to 60% range of their diet coming from carbohydrates than adults. And of course, by five would be the historical age of weaning. So by five, you're starting to progress towards, uh, you know, macronutrients that are closer to what an adult would need, which would be, you know, in the 30 to 50% calories from carbohydrates range. Um, so somewhere in that 30 to 60 is probably fine. And you're getting that from starchy vegetables and from fruit. So, um, you know, if, um, Laura's daughter likes sweet potatoes or plantains, right? There's a lot of places, um, cassava fries are one of the most delicious things in the history of mankind. Um, so, uh, it doesn't need to be low carb. Um, also if she's eating some fish, I would say, don't worry about the chicken intake. Um, that you don't need to be limiting tuna. If she likes canned tuna, um, canned tuna is a fish that has more selenium than mercury. So the mercury concerns are completely moot. So go nuts on the canned tuna. Um, Vegetables can be raw; they don't have to be cooked. So, um, in fact, eating a mix of raw and cooked vegetables is really important because you get different nutrients from raw versus cooked, and the fiber supports different bacteria when it's raw versus cooked. So, eating a mix is really important. So, I I I really think step step one is to start doing a deep dive into um, what is the autoimmune protocol and the whys behind because. Um, You know, with nuts and seeds, the uh, chief reason is the very, very high food sensitivity rate uh, for people who have GI symptoms. So some of them, uh, almonds, cashews, are are among the highest uh, in terms of food sensitivity rate. Um, You know, it can be as high as like 90 percent. Same with uh, A2 dairy, so dairy from like goats or sheep um, or A2 cows. Um, there's there's a collection of foods that can be um, can be included from the beginning and cut out later if if you're not seeing results and you know this is now walking that line right so if you're if you're an adult what I'm going to say is um, what you know how impatient are you you're losing all of your hair you want to get better the fastest the fastest way to do that is going to be do, to do full. Elimination uh, um, of the AIP elimination phase, uh, nutrient density focus, work on sleep and activity and stress management and sun exposure, get your vitamin D levels tested. That's really, really important. Um, so you're, you're gonna do all of those things, and then you're, you know, once you start to see even that hair loss slows down, um, you're starting to see the symptom improvement, then you can start working on reintroductions. Um with a child, there is a quality of life argument to be made here where you say, maybe it's okay if this takes a little bit longer, if we can eat some of these foods, because if a child is crying at every meal, that is stress. And we've already talked about how alopecia is very, very linked with stress. And so there's an argument to be made here for including, you know, continuing to include dairy-free chocolate, um, continuing to include at least egg yolks, if not the whites. Um, You know, if you can make something with egg yolks, that, that opens up mayonnaise that, that, uh, opens up, um, uh, like homemade ice creams, right? There's like a whole pile of, and now there's all of these things that you could be doing with egg yolks. Um, so I think getting into really understanding the nuances of the Automy protocol is, you know, certainly the best option. Um, and my best resource for that is the AIP lecture series. So it, it, you know, it's 42 lectures. Um, it's a lecture a day, for six weeks. And, um, and it, it really breaks down every aspect from why, from what to eat, what not to eat, the lifestyle, all the way to reintroductions and troubleshooting and where functional medicine fits in, what type of testing um, that you might want to do uh, with lots of practical information built right in. So the next session, I mean, this is where Laura's going to be probably, um, not excited. The next session starts in two months on January seventh. Um, so unfortunately, um, that that's the next session. I'm only going to run two sessions in 2019 as well. So if anybody is thinking, you know, oh, January is a busy time, um, it is, but it's also a time for you know, new year, new you. It's a great time for for making yourself uh, a priority. And so um, I'm hoping to have a really great group January seventh um and i you know teach this course myself so it's also a great way to to connect with me um and for our listeners uh if you're listening to this episode right when it went live this weekend is the last weekend to preorder the course when you preorder the course you can get it for a 30% discount uh but i have also activated the code paleo view and if you use the code PaleoView, view, um, you will also get a very steep discount on the course. Um, and I've activated that through to January 7th. So if you're listening to this after pre-orders have ended, uh, you can still get um, a lot of money off by using code PaleoView. view. But this, you know, this course and I, and I um, you know, it's it's sort of, uh, if I don't want to be like super plugging my own stuff here, except that the reason why I put this course together was exactly for this type of situation for people who need this deep dive into the autoimmune protocol in order to be successful with it. And it is an amazing modality for me to be able to communicate the ins and outs of the autoimmune protocol in detail in a way that's, it's designed for the average person. I do have, um, healthcare professionals who take this course to sort of start their advanced learning on the autoimmune protocol. But the, who I've created this course for is patients and caregivers. And, um, if you're busy in January and you feel like you're not going to be able to get through it all, don't worry because you retain lifetime access to the entire course along with any future additions and updates. So if you don't think you can get through it in six weeks, it's fine. You can take three months to go through the material if you want to. Um, you can start later if you're you know, still on vacation in the early January um, and catch up or just do it on your own pace. So that's something that um, I've made sure is part of this course. Um, and I think that that's really important here because of – this nuance in the gray area foods and and being able to increase variety for a child now or even just keep one favorite food in um, or like Stacy like you're recommending Simple Mills right Simple Mills are are nut based a lot of their products have eggs um, if if that is something that you know you're embracing these phase one reintroduction foods from the beginning and those are going to work, that's going to dramatically improve quality of life to be able to make muffins out of a muffin mix or pancakes or, um, or, or crackers, right? Like Simple Mills has such a huge variety of, of products now. So I think that being able to, to really dive into all of the resources that are out there for the autoimmune protocol and, um, really understand like where, like, Laura is going to need to to go into that information and then decide her starting place, right? So it's the starting place, full AIP elimination, in which case she can still add some foods to her daughter's diet compared to what they're eating right now um, because she can still be adding other kinds of fruits and raw vegetables. She can, you know, not worry about limiting canned fish. She can, you know, do more chicken Um, and she can uh, go on to Shop AIP and get all of those great snack foods that Shop AIP carries that are 100 percent. AIP elimination phase friendly, um, but then she can figure out. Okay, well, are we going to start this off with nuts? A- and if we are going to start off with nuts, are we going to start off with all nuts or just select a couple and keep it easy? If we're not seeing results for what we're going to eliminate further down the road, um, with adults I talk about this being uh, sort of like a know your currency, and this is with with adults. It's usually coffee or chocolate or red wine, right? It's one of those three foods um, that. An adult goes. Look, I just I, I could do the full autoimmune protocol if if I could just have my cup of coffee first thing in the morning, and then we look at well here here's the deal with coffee is for some autoimmune diseases it can make it better and for other autoimmune diseases it can make it worse, so you don't really know which camp you fall under unless you cut it out for a while. But maybe what you want to do is try the full AIP, leaving your coffee in your diet now. And then if you're not seeing results, then you know coffee is your next target to to work on. But maybe you'll see great results with AIP plus coffee, and you'll never need to give up coffee. So I call that, you know, know your currency. That's your trade. That's your one thing of, okay, I can can wrap my head around all of this if I could just have this. It's always the phase one and phase two reintroduction foods that make the best currency, right, that make the best trade because they tend to have a lower probability of being – Um, problematic for your entire life and because they typically have some valuable nutrition to offer. Coffee has actually some really cool fermentable fiber in it that supports a healthy gut microbiome. If it's not causing an inflammatory reaction in you, it does for some people and it's anti-inflammatory for others and we don't fully understand what it is except that there's potentially a link to some autoimmune genes. So that might be what's driving inflammation for some people. So obviously coffee is not going to be Laura's daughter's currency food, but maybe it is Simple Mills crackers that are made with almond pulp. Um, maybe it's going to be a scrambled eggs and we'll, we'll keep eggs in. Um, so figuring out, I think also like understanding the whys behind the autoimmune protocol can really help in those decisions and can really help shift focus because maybe the focus becomes uh, not so much about um, cutting out, you know, we're not going to have these things anymore, but Hey, we need to be eating more vegetables or, uh, you know, figuring out a way of eating these other nutrient dense foods. Let's, you know, the focus becomes, uh, let's find fun, fun, new ways to prepare these things so that they're tasty. And then you've got a, a focus that's on something that's very positive. So, you know, I think the mindset piece here is, um, is really important and it, it shouldn't sort of be underestimated in terms of its role in success with the autoimmune protocol. If we can switch our mindset to, I am tackling this because this you know I, I need to I, I'm gonna I'm gonna work on eating more of these good things, um, even for a kid right to be like fruit you know berries are are rich in antioxidant phytochemicals. Um, They're high in fiber, right? They've, they've got some, some great things going for them. Okay. So we know berries for dessert (laughs) every, every every day. Um, That's going to be, that's going to be a great thing. So, so being able to make those decisions though, I think that the first step is really diving into what is now a tremendous collection of resources for the autoimmune protocol. Um, And including there's, you know, lots of other bloggers who are, making amazing recipes, who are super inventive, um, who are talking about their experiences and their amazing resources as well.
0: Uh, I completely agree. I think there are so many different aspects. I personally... um, have heard from a lot of people that, um, egg yolk and ghee and, and those kinds of things end up being, uh, not problematic for them. So I like the idea that you shared about potentially not even taking them out for quality of life. Cause I think that's just to me, the thing that stands out about a child and I'm glad you agreed and, uh, brought that up. So Thank you so much for (laughs) adding this into our podcast, Last Minute, to help Laura. And, you know, as a reminder, listeners, this is why we try to stay time sensitive um, to all of you all so that we can be responsive, even if it means that our voices sound like we're (laughs) ready to join a Fleetwood Mac cover band. Um, But we will be back again next week. We have a bunch of topics lined up that we shifted to the right for the show today. So we will be back again next week, of course, to dive into all of that for you. And if you enjoyed today's show or you think someone would benefit from it, we Uh, Would love for you to share it with them and uh, engage with us on social media, leave a review on iTunes. All of these things help spread our message to a broader audience that we can reach more people. And we appreciate you helping us do that. So thanks again for tuning in and we look forward to chatting again next week. Thanks for listening.
1: Thank you for listening to the Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. I figured out how to plug in my headset. Woohoo! We're off to a great start. And here comes my cat with a toy in her mouth. I'm sure the microphone is picking her up. Can you hear her?
0: Now I can. Meow. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's so excited. She's got things to say. <laughs>
1: <sighs> um, She's, yeah, she's very vocal. Three times a day when she walks oh, out. just are you done yet? She's dropped the toy. She, now she's just meowing, standing over it aren't right. you proud
0: of her? She needs to acknowledge
1: I'm super proud. I don't know if she thinks that's her kill or her baby, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's it's one or the other it's it's that's that's the cat way yep. <laughs> it's one or the other or maybe both.
1: hopefully not um